This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. That is America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So um, let's talk some politics. Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, Ivanka's husband. This guy's a big deal. His family's a big deal. I've heard the, the Kushner family described as, as Jewish royalty in New York City. Uh, Jared's dad, and, and he owned a, a real estate company, among some other things. So Kushner is now leading a team. He's young. He's a young guy. He's 36. He's leading a team inside the White House, viewed as a SWAT team of strategic consultants, staffed by former business executives. Uh, let me quote from Washington Post designed to infuse fresh thinking into Washington, float above the daily political grind. We're going to talk about that coming up and create a lasting legacy for a president still searching for signature achievements. So again, he's 36. He thinks like a Silicon Valley startup guy. That's just, that's how his mind works. Cause he's of that generation. Um, let me quote a little bit here just so we know what we're talking about. Uh, Kushner is positioned in the new office as an offensive team, an aggressive, non-ideological ideas factory, capable of attracting top talent from both inside and outside of government, and serving as a conduit with the business, philanthropic, and academic communities. We should have excellence in government, Kushner said. The government should be run like a great American company. Our hope is that we can achieve successes and efficiencies for our customers who are the citizens. I love trying to think of, of how government can work like a business. Right? So let me read one last thing here. Uh, Kushner's ambitions for the new office are grand. Uh, the team plans to focus his attention on reimagining the VA, modernizing the technology and data infrastructure of every federal department of agency, Remodeling workplace training programs, blah, 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 The VA, right? So he can look at the VA and where politicians would look at it and be like, oh, well, how am I going to get more money to my VA local, whatever? He'll look at it and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, this doesn't work at all. We need to completely transform it. And gosh, we know that needs to happen. And we've talked before about, uh, you know, he said he wants to work about um, work on modernizing the technology and data infrastructure of every federal department of agency. 
we uh, this is my favorite example of government inefficiency and bloat and how the whole thing is so broken there is a uh, an abandoned an old former limestone mine in pittsburgh that if you go into it now there's tens of thousands of filing cabinets rows and rows and rows of filing cabinets as far as the eye can see this is where the federal government keeps all the retirement records for all their employees and it's all still today done by hand the guy who uh, ronald reagan appointed to be in charge of this said he looked at it and he said oh geez i have to computerize this or else i'm gonna get fired that was 1984 83 and uh still today all done by hand that's insane so kushner's goal is to modernize all that and make government more efficient and therefore hopefully smaller let me quote one last thing and then i'll tell you why i'm so excited about this under president barack obama trump's advisors said uh, scornfully that some business leaders privately dismissed their uh, let me try to explain this but this is a weird quote so business leaders come to the white house today they meet with president trump they say geez this is way better than when we met with president obama the advisors say excuse me the uh, the business leaders who come and meet with trump's team says that the obama white house they called them nato meetings no action talk only nato no action talk only in which they were lectured without much follow-up so you imagine a business executive coming to the white house and they just sit, get sit down lectured have no no real dialogue no exchange and no follow-up afterward andrew laveras chairman and ceo of dow chemical has had meetings with the previous two administrations and said the environment under trump is markedly different after he left a recent meeting of manufacturing chief executives of trump Lavera said, quote, rather than entering a vacuum, I'm getting emails from the president's seat, if not every day, then every other day. Here's what we're working on. We need another meeting. Can you get more? Can we get more input on this? One guy, Eric Little. He was the CFO of GM, Microsoft and International Paper. And now he's on Kushner's team in the White House. He said, we are a part of the White House team connected with everyone here, but we are not subject to the day-to-day issues so we can take a more strategic approach to projects okay this is what i really want to talk about now i quoted something earlier um the washington post said uh that this team the swat team is designed to infuse fresh thinking into washington float above the daily political grind and here is one of the guys on the team saying we are in the white house but we're not subject to the day-to-day issues. That is huge. Robert Greene talks about being a grand strategist. So a strategist is good, right? You don't want to go willy-nilly. So a strategist is good, but they look at the day-to-day stuff. Now, if you look at the day-to-day stuff, you tend to get distracted by the minutia, right? You go battle to battle to battle, and you can look a little... uh, Like you don't know what you're doing, but a grand strategist looks beyond the battles and looks at the entire war. A grand strategist can maneuver his way through the muck with ease because it's always about the end goal. They always have their eyes on the prize. They always know where they're going. And when you do that, you don't get distracted and you don't get disappointed by a little setback here or there because you're playing the long game and you know where you're going. So Kushner and his team of these young innovators in the white house, they don't care at all 
about the healthcare debacle from a couple weeks ago. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care about the latest tweet that Trump sent to Paul Ryan or whatever John McCain said. Or, like, that's, they're not distracted by media cycles, which the White House and people in politics always get, to, they get wrapped up in the day-to-day media cycle. They get wrapped up in the minutia. They're always distracted. But Kushner and his team, they rise above that muck. They don't care about every little thing that happens. They're focused on the long-term goals. And because of that, they're going to be successful. I predict that most of the reforms that uh, Trump's presidency is known for is going to come from Jared Kushner and this team. Precisely because, well, obviously they're smart, they're successful, they're talented, they work hard, all that. But mostly because they don't get mired down by the day-to-day nonsense that happens in our political world. I want to tell you an example that's coming up next with uh, Alexander the Great, because Alexander the Great was a grand strategist. And you can see, and we'll talk about his life, you can see he didn't get wrapped up with emotion. He didn't get wrapped up by, by the day-to-day, by the daily, by the battle here and there. He kept his eye, big picture, long-term, grand strategy, and that's what you would need to do. If you want to be successful, we'll tell his story next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater. So Alexander the Great had two great influences in his uh, in his childhood. He studied uh, he studied under Aristotle. So growing up, he uh, learned how to control his emotions. So he never got swept up by emotions, never got distracted uh, by emotions, and he could see things clearly as they really were. A skill set that we should all work on. Uh, also, his mom. His mom had visions from uh, as soon as he was born that he was going to take over the known world. And she told him that. And she told him that he was a descendant of Achilles, one of the greatest warriors ever. So from as young as he can remember, he had visions of greatness. So his dad, the king, was killed. And his dad was able to keep together Macedonia, which is an area right above Greece, and all the different areas of Greece, except for Sparta, but that's a different story. But when he was killed... All the areas of Greece that he controlled, they saw this as their way out, right? And they, they started to rebel over uh, the control from Macedonia. So the young Alexander takes over. He's not Alexander the Great yet. He's just Alexander. He was 20. And his advisors didn't trust him, obviously. They didn't think he had what it took. So they told him to go slowly. They gave him advice, go slowly, don't rush. But instead of giving his enemies time to organize against him, he led his army through Greece where very quickly the people begged for forgiveness and begged to be taken back under his control. He was bold right out of the gate. Whenever all of his advisors told him to go slow, be patient, he went right for it. 
Then, when his advisors told him to not do anything more, he decided to attack the Persian Empire. The Greeks hated the Persians, and vice versa. So he attacked one part of their empire, no problem, and he won. Now, again, his advisors told him two things so far, and he did the opposite of what the advisors told him. Now, because he won, and his advisors didn't think he would, his advisors are saying, well, let's keep going. We got, let's, let's keep marching in. We're going to take over all the Persian Empire. And Alexander the Great, again, not taking their advice, said, nope, not yet. So he went from super aggressive to patient. Never taking his advisor's advice. Advisor's advice. Many advisors. So instead of going uh, right into the empire, he zigzagged from town to town and then went to Egypt. And the Egyptians, they viewed him as a liberator against the Persians. They didn't like the Persians that much. And now he controlled all of their grain, all the Persians' grain, cutting them off from it. So his advisors are like, all right, listen, the Persians have a crazy big navy and we got to build one to defeat their navy. And uh, Alexander the Great says, eh, no. And instead he just took over all the port cities and he made the Persian, the, uh, yeah, the Persian navy useless. Now the Persian towns that he took over, he, he kept all the Persian customs, kept their money, kept everything the same. The only thing he changed were all the things that the people in the town hated about the Persian leaders. Right? So Alexander kept everything the same except for the few things that they didn't like. And now, obviously, all the people in these towns loved him. Finally, he decided to march on the main Persian city. And at this point, the Persians had no hope. They had no food from Egypt. They had no Navy support. And all the people in the neighboring towns all preferred Alexander. Why? Because he took his time. He was patient and he got everyone on his side. So a couple lessons. First, when he, when he first started these battles, his strength was in his speed. Then speed was no longer the right tactic. Because if he marched in and won too quickly, then there would be this huge power vacuum, right? So he, so he slowed down, consolidated power. And then when the time was right, went in. And at that point, he already had a bunch of uh, everyone all around loved him. And it was easy to take over. Here's the big story. He, he had a grand strategy. He never reacted to events as they happened. He always kept in mind this grand strategy and the ultimate goal. So his advisors, all they did was get wrapped up in the moment. Right? When he first became king, they got emotional and said, Oh, don't do anything. Like they got scared. They're fearful. Don't do anything. Stay put. Relax. Let's learn. Take time. They were emotional. Right? Then when he said, We're going to invade the Persian Empire in the beginning, they said, No, don't do that. They were fearful again, emotional. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Then he won. And then they got emotional. But the other side, they were super happy. They're ecstatic. They're like, Come on, let's go. And that's when. Alexander the Great said no. Right? He didn't let his ego get in the way yet. Uh, and he said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do it this way. We're going to go slow. We're going to be patient now and do this the right way so when the time is right, we can strike. Right? He never got wrapped up in emotion. Which one of those two people are you? Are you Alexander the Great who thinks of the grand strategy or are you more like his advisors who get wrapped up in the moment? 
if you are a, a business owner or you're in any leadership position whatsoever, do you get too wrapped up in the day-to-day? Do you find yourself putting out tiny fires here and, here and there all day, all day long? Have you, have you ever had that day where it's just literally just you're putting out fires? And if you do that for too long, you're going to totally lose sight of the ultimate goal. Alexander's advisors, too weak when they needed to be strong, too aggressive when they needed to be patient because they never had the long-term goal in mind. So let's bring this back to, uh, I'll give one more example, coaches. I think the best coaches always have the grand strategy in mind. The best coaches always have the grand strategy. So they're, they're concerned, obviously, about the details, right? I think of a football coach, right? Um, it's do Belichick or any high school coach. Have you ever seen Friday Night Lights, right? Um, any, any football coach, a good football coach. Of course, they're focusing on, you know, the basics, how to tackle right, discipline, all these things. But it's all for the ultimate goal. And if there's a bad practice or a bad this or a bad this, whatever, they're not going to get distracted from the ultimate goal. They know what that is. That's the grand strategy. And they don't get too emotional, little thing here, little thing there, here, or there. The best coaches I ever had, like no emotion. <laughs> they were like rocks, just stone cold, unless the opportunity really warranted it. But they weren't just emotional wrecks running around with their heads cut off all the time. So to bring it back to Trump, the media cycle gets all of us to think from fire to fire to fire to fire to fire, right? Every single day. Every single day there's a new fire to put out. Every single day there's new breaking news. Every single day we got to freak out about something. And the media gets everyone in D.C. to freak out. They get uh, even presidents to react to things daily. And when you do that, it's easy to lose sight of the ultimate goal. However, Trump's son-in-law and his SWAT team of business executives looking to transform different broken aspects of government. They're not swayed by tiny fires or day-to-day operations or drama. They're focused on the big picture, end goal, rising above the muck of D.C. to fix the muck of D.C. I guarantee you where the White House was, I don't want to say frantic, but consumed by the health care bill from a week or so ago. Jared Kushner's team was not, and they were focused on uh, getting, you know, making and thinking about and, and trying to figure out how to enact and propose and what it takes to fix the VA, which is something that can't be fixed in the muck, right? If you're, if you're living in the muck and you're going from fire to fire and, and you're thinking little picture, you'll never fix the VA. You'll fix a little thing here and there. Maybe probably screw up 10 other things in the process, but only if you think big picture and grand strategy can you truly fix uh, the VA, for instance. So I predict great success from this team, the Kushner's team. And if he can bring business, I mean, common sense solutions to DC, what a huge achievement that would be. Now, this was part of the appeal of Trump in the first place, right? That he wasn't beholden to anyone. Basically, that's just another way of saying he can rise above the muck. Now, we'll, we'll see how he can do with that. But Kushner and, and the guys that he surrounded himself with, I don't think there's any political affiliation there whatsoever. I think they still have 
they still have an ideology. Their ideology is, a, is business, right? Efficient, smooth, effective, high quality. Who's the customer? Who are we serving, right? Like that's how they think. But it's not ideological in the sense of like, well, who do we, who's, who's, who do we have to pay favors to? Who are we beholden to? Well, we can't do that because that's an idea from the other side. Or they don't think that way. But we don't need any of that anyway. I'm excited about it. Look, Be on the lookout for more things that uh, I don't even know if Trump will give Kushner and his guys the credit for it. Um, but look for some reforms that, that have the markings of people who have grand strategy in mind. I think you'll see some. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. I have to apologize about what we're going to talk about next. I uh, totally missed this last week. This, this topic is it's a segment we do every year. But I missed it, so I can't, I can't, we can't do the same segment. I apologize for that. But there's something else I want to share about something that I find uh, incredibly sad. I don't even get angry about it. I, I do, I get angry at the hypocrisy, but the event itself, I find just, I mourn for it. It's so sad. It was last Saturday, but I'll tell you what it was coming up next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. later hmm. so two more segments i promise i'd do that but that's a better thing to wrap up the show with let me talk about this real quick instead i'll get back to earth hour we'll wrap up the show with earth hour so nigel farage and aaron banks these are the two guys two of the guys who were behind brexit of course england leaving the eu they've been in california recently because they are focusing on calexit which I, am, I refuse to call it that. But my friend and I, we've been uh, throwing around a couple of names. And I don't like putting just, it's like, I don't like when people put gate behind every controversy, right? Everything's got to be something gate. Like, come on, give me a break. So now everything's got to be exit. No, no, no. So we're going with Cali cut. That's our working, that's our working. Someone suggested uh, Calcutta, right? We're cutting, Cal- but that's already a place. And then someone said uh, the California cleavage, which will get a lot of clicks if we called it that. But that's not, I guess it's kind of cleavage, like cleaving the one. It's that's tricky. I think we're going with Cali cut, though. I like Cali cut. So this has been proposed a couple times uh, since 1914, cutting California into separate states. I want to be clear. This is not cutting California off the country. It's not turning California into a separate country, which will never happen. Um even though you may want that to happen if you live in anywhere other than California. Um, but this is about splitting California into separate states. 1914 was the first time this was proposed. It was proposed in North California and in South California. The last election, someone, a billionaire in California, tried to get on the ballot, turning California into six different states, which I think is a really good idea. But this has the best chance of it actually happening. And I think there's a strong desire for this to happen in California. 
especially with these two guys marketing it because they're going to market Calicut the same way that they marketed Brexit. It's coastal urban elite liberals versus rural conservative Californians. And these guys, their goal is to get this on a statewide ballot in 2018. So this is pretty quick. So this is the PR guy. Nigel Farage is in the, was, was or is? I know was. I don't think he's, I don't know if he's still in the House of Parliament in England. And Aaron Banks is just a rich guy. And this is Banks. He said, it would be portrayed as the Hollywood elite versus the people. Breaking up the bad government. 78% of people in California are unhappy with their government. So I'm all in on this. The only bad part about living in San Diego, San Diego is amazing. The only bad part is it's in California. And if we can eliminate that, that'd be great. I'm as nostalgic as anyone. I yearn for the idea of the old idea of, of the old California because California is a lot like America in that it was an idea. So just like you had the settlers and the colonists traveling across the ocean to settle on the East Coast, America, you had the great pioneers traveling across the unknown to come to California. And there was something powerful about California, something emotional about California. There was something just like otherworldly about California. That doesn't exist anymore. So whether it was freedom, the ability to start a new life, to strike it rich in this land called California, this almost like mythical land, that's gone. You don't get that in California anymore. More likely you go to Texas if you want to start a new life for yourself. Right? But it's not, it's not happening here. So why hang on to it? I think California has been riding the coattails of Manifest Destiny for 150 years. But it's not... I, why hang on to it? I was, I was talking to a friend about this and he said, well, Slater, a lot of people fought and died for, uh, for California. And it's like, well, not really. Do you know how the, the boundary of Eastern, so look at, imagine a map, right? Look at California. Obviously the West coast is the coast. So it's the boundary is the coast. Uh, but look at the East coast of California. It's just two straight lines. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so, so, so what it is, is the Northern boundary of California, right? California and Oregon. It's just straight along the 42nd parallel. So, so, so I should say, what happened is a bunch of guys got together in Utah. I think it was in Utah. And they said, well, how are we going to draw California? So they decided California was going to be, uh, the Northern border was going to be the 42nd parallel. So just straight line. And then they turned South at the 120th Meridian. So that's just, it's just the way the earth's chopped up. So they just went South, North, and then, and then boom, South. They went South at the 120 Meridian because I don't know, whatever, that's as good a place as any. And then it hit Lake Tahoe. And then they shot southeast until they hit the Colorado River. That's it. Everything in between is just random. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason. So like, no, California must look the way it does. Is the idea of California in its geography? Or is it, was it in low taxes and all these other like innovative, like it's a new place to go and start a new life? Like that's what it was, but it's not that anymore. So who cares what the boundary of it looks like? Because maybe East California, which would be the coast, excuse me, West California, which would be a coast, and East California, which would be the more rural inland. It's basically, it'd be a red state. It'd be like Oklahoma. It'd be like Texas, right? That can reclaim what California was. There's no reason this can't happen. The Dakotas did it. The Virginia, Virginia did it. Why can't California? And it should. And this is what I mean by Cal, what California used to be. 
Do you know what the flag of California is? Imagine the California flag. It's a bear. That's because of the bear flag revolt. William Ide, 19, excuse me, 1846. He started this revolt against some Mexican settlers and he issued a proclamation to invite all peaceable and good citizens to establish us in, uh, to, to assist us in establishing a Republican government, right? like a republic, like America's a republic. Here's the deal. Here's what this republic government does. Shall detect and punish crime shall encourage industry, virtue, and literature, and which shall leave unshackled by fetters, like chains, commerce, agriculture, and industry. So let's break these down, okay? This is the original California, 1846. This is what California was founded on and why it became California, right? Detect and punish crime. Literally the big debate right now in California is Senate Bill 54, which would make California a sanctuary state. And make it illegal for local law enforcement to cooperate with ICE to deport illegal immigrants who have committed other crimes. Okay? So if an illegal immigrant rapes someone, goes to jail, ICE says, we'd like to talk to them, please. It is illegal for any law enforcement in the entire state to communicate with ICE about this local law enforcement, about this illegal immigrant. It is illegal for ICE to go into a jail or a hospital or a school or anywhere to interview a illegal immigrant. Okay, that's the debate that's going on right now. So California was founded on, we're going to detect and punish crime. And now it's like, well, not if you're an illegal immigrant. And then we have all these, we have prison realignment, AB 109, Prop 47. We don't have time to go into all these, but these are all things that reform prisons, but certainly don't detect and punish criminals. The second thing of the bear flag revolt, second aspect shall encourage industry highest taxes in the country most regulations cap and trade highest price of utilities no water and that's a government caused water shortage um what's the other oh right now the the uh governor just the other day proposed raising the gas tax again another 12 cents would be 50 cents a gallon in california (laughs) uh raising the diesel gas tax even higher all right, that's business. Right, trucks use that, right? So they encourage industry. Shall encourage virtue and literature. Do we need to talk about our school system in California? Shall leave unshackled by fetters, like a ball and chain, shall leave unshackled commerce, agriculture, and industry. Obviously, that's not California today. I'll do this quickly because if you're not in California, I don't know if this matters, but... There's something that the voters of California passed in 1979 called the GAN, G-A-N-N, the GAN spending limit, named after a senator, the GAN spending limit. So what that did in 1979 was say, all right, Sacramento, our capital, here's how much money the government's spending. You can't spend more than that adjusted for inflation every year. This is it. That's the limit. Here's the limit right here. Of course, you can spend more adjusted for inflation, but no, but no more than that. couple years later, well, you know, we passed a proposition about education spending that, you know, raised the GAN limit, but it's for the kids. A couple years after that, we passed another bill that changed how the GAN limit was calculated, which essentially raised the GAN limit. 
Uh, we passed another bill that said, well, this the money on this, t- if you spend it like this way, it doesn't account to the GAN limit. So uh, even with all these weakenings of the GAN spending limit, we've hit it again. So Jerry Brown, our governor, proposed a budget the other day that has billions of dollars off the books to try and stay under the limit. And luckily, the legislative analyst office said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't, you can't be off the books spending like that. So now Jerry Brown has to try to figure out some way to get around this GAN spending limit for the fifth time, and they will. Now, this GAN spending limit was chains. They were fetters. They were balls and chains that we put on politicians in Sacramento. But they always find a way to get out of them and then put them back on you, the taxpayer. I have no affinity for... California being looking the exact way it does right now. And I don't know why anyone would. Now I've devil devil in the details, right? But California. So you should have West California, which is LA County North all the way to San Francisco. East California is San Diego County, which is the southernmost County. All the other red counties, East and then North all the way to the top. And then if you want it, we maybe we can take the coastal Cal County, which is right up there next to Oregon too. If you want, and we can sort of do this horseshoe around uh, the blue coastal West California counties. I don't know exactly what it should look like, but why not? Why not? So someone just wrote me a tweet. I missed it. Uh, where would the California divide be? I don't know. If it's a north-south divide, it's not worth it because what's, what, what does that do, right? California, you'd have Southern California, which would still be controlled by San Francisco and L.A. So then you just get two blue states, right? And even if the divide was putting L.A. in the southern part and then San Francisco in the northern part, you're still going to get two blue states. It's just going to be run by those two cities. Just like Illinois is a blue, excuse me, Illinois is a red state. Unfortunately, Chicago's in it. Right, so Chicago screws it up. The only two counties that voted for Hillary in all of Illinois were Cook County and the one next to it. That's it. Every other county in Illinois was red. We don't want two states, two Californias, where it's all red except for LA and the other states all red except for San Francisco. Put San Francisco and LA in the same state and then all the red areas around it have its own separate distinct state. It'll be like having a Texas on the West Coast. So it needs to happen. I'm all in. And with Nigel Farage and Aaron Brooks behind it, I think, uh, I really, really think there's a good chance this might happen. Because you got the people in the red part of the state who want to get the heck away from L.A. and San Francisco. And then you have people in L.A. and San Francisco who are like, I hate Trump and I hate those red people and I'm out too. I think this gets above uh, 60%. We'll see. one 900 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on. Slater says, I apologize. I forgot about that. I, I didn't know it was coming up. No one told me. Last Saturday was Earth Hour. Um, Earth Hour for 60 minutes. Uh, landmarks all around the world turn off their lights and, and cities. And, and you're supposed to turn off your lights for an hour as well. So you see these pictures of the Eiffel Tower, the Sydney Opera House, the Empire State Building, all with the lights turned off. Um, I despise Earth Hour. I, let me, I only got a minute or so here. So let me quote from uh, Professor Economics Professor Ross McKittrick. He said, I abhor Earth Hour. Abundant cheap electricity has been the greatest source of human liberation in the 20th century. Every material social advance in the 20th century depended on the proliferation of inexpensive and reliable electricity. Giving women the freedom to work outside the home depended on the availability of electrical appliances that free up time from domestic chores. Getting children out of menial labor and into schools depended on the same thing. Development and provision of modern healthcare without electricity is absolutely impossible. The expansion of our food supply, the promotion of hygiene and nutrition, dependent on being able to irrigate fields, cook and refrigerate foods, and have a steady indoor supply of hot water. Many of the world's poor suffer brutal environmental conditions in their own homes because of the necessity of cooking over indoor fires that burn twigs and dung. Anyone who wants to see local conditions improve in the third world should realize the importance of access to cheap electricity from fossil fuel-based power-generating stations. After all, that's how the West developed. And the whole mentality around Earth Hour demonizes this electricity. I cannot do that. Instead, I celebrate it and all that it has provided for humanity. Earth Hour celebrates ignorance, poverty, backwardsness. By repudiating the greatest engine of liberation, it becomes an hour devoted to anti-humanism. And here's the thing. I got to stop here. Here's the thing I hate about it so much. The people who do it, they turn the lights off and it's so sanctimonious and they think they're so self-righteous. But in the back of their mind, they know that when the hour's up, they can go across the room, turn the light switch back on, and they're back in their modern world. Brought to you entirely by fossil fuels. It's nothing to demonize, but gosh, they're ungrateful. Slater Crusaders, have an awesome week, and we'll see you next Saturday. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.